Welcome to episode two of the Swish Report. I am Dan Meslingua alongside Kevin White. Yes, we got sir. some very interesting things going on today. Uh, we got the NBA media days. They just came by uh, last week, and we saw some faces that were familiar, but in New Jersey's. Some uh, We saw Chris Paul in the Thunder, Lonzo Ball, Zion Williamson. We got a lot of fun things to talk about, so let's get right into it. Let's start off talking about the OKC Thunder. They had their media day, and we saw Chris Paul for the first time in an Oklahoma City Thunder jersey. And it looks interesting. I mean, this team, like seeing not only him, but all the players with him, like Danilo Gallinari, Shai Gilgis-Alexander, and all the other guys on the Thunder, uh, Terrence Ferguson, it's not really looking too bad for them anymore. I mean, when they gave away PG and Russ, it was like, okay, they're over. I mean, the OKC era is going to be over for a while. Um, And I'm not saying they're still in their dominant era, but do you think that CP3 can lead the Thunder into the playoffs? In the the stacked Western Conference, do you think that he can sneak the Thunder into the playoffs? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, At first, I I wanted to agree with you on the fact that it did seem kind of weird seeing CP3 and all those other guys. Um, They kind of like six people in that first main photo. Uh, most teams have like their top two or their top four players in that in that photo. They kind of had six. They kind of look weird, but people kind of forget uh, the depth that this Thunder team has. Um, it's going to be uh, a weird season for them starting off, kind of figuring out what their identity is. Um, and I I don't see them really making the playoffs in the West. Uh, I think they can make some noise against um, other solid teams. Uh, they'll they'll put up a good fight. They got some veteran leadership uh, there with Stephen Adams, uh, as you mentioned, Danilo Gallinari, and obviously CB three. Um, I think that CP3 can have a good season, um, close to 20 and 10, kind of uh, almost vintage CP3, um, but I don't see them making the playoffs. I don't think they have enough uh, star power to compete with all those top teams uh, in the West. Even though they do have some good depth, I think um, at the end of games, um, that's where they're really lacking in terms of having that, uh, that clutch performer that can close games. CP3 can kind of act as that for a little bit, but that's not really his main forte. So I don't really see the Thunder uh, making the playoffs out there in the West, but I think they will have a better season than most people think. Yeah, I definitely think that's a good take to have. It's definitely going to be tough. I mean, the Western Conference, as we've mentioned before, is completely stacked. I mean, you have the Houston Rockets, who now have their dynamic duo of Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And then you have uh, even the smaller guys like Lonzo Ball and the Pelicans or De'Aaron Fox and the Kings. Even those like lower tier teams are still pretty talented and can still put up a fight. So it's definitely going to be tough. But Chris Paul, I think, if he could pull it off, would show and, and really cement his legacy. A lot of people um, have kind of slept on him since he left the Los Angeles Clippers. His rookie year, he was amazing. Um, in New Orleans, he was amazing. Then he went to L.A. and he was still amazing. And it was just unbelievable how that team didn't win a championship. And that kind of showed his leadership a little bit and how he wasn't able to just get that done, not even get to the Western Conference Finals um, after being up 3-1 against the Rockets to go there um, as the most historic example. But it really showed, like, people didn't really blame it on his leadership, actually. People kind of said it was other things. I mean, injuries, that that team was so injury-prone with Blake Griffin, um, and they were always missing guys. And there were just all these other things and other factors in the postseason that he always kind of got excused for. So... It didn't really, like, it wasn't really his uh, team to build. I mean, he was still the leader, but it wasn't really his duty to get that team to the Western Conference Finals. So, I mean, it's kind of complicated, but I just feel like people didn't really blame him. 
Right. They blamed guys like Blake or DJ. Yeah. Yeah. And so when he went to Houston, that's Harden's team. So, like, he's an addition that can help, but it's not on him. It's on Harden. Uh-huh. And they made some runs, but th- there were no championships. And Chris Paul was definitely a contributor to that. I mean, they went to seven games with the Warriors historically. Um, and that one postseason, I think it was two years ago, and Chris Paul was the leader. And I think I think he was him that got injured, yeah, in game seven. Yeah. Um, and people will always talk about that. Oh, if oh. he was there, they would have won. Yeah. Which I don't believe. But, <laughs> um, I mean, they had him at home. It would have been a great game to see him there. But, anyways, it was still close, and the Warriors moved on. Now Chris Paul's in a new environment, and for the first time, he's healthy in a jersey on a team of his own. Sorry, not on a jersey of his right. own. In, in a, on a team of his own. Um, last year, Chris Paul didn't have the best season statistically. He played in 58 games, but he only averaged 15.6 points per game, um, shooting 41.9% from the field. He averaged 8.2 assists per game and two steals um, and 4.6 rebounds. This was in 32 minutes per game, though. So in that much time, that's not impressive. And that's definitely not uh, Chris Paul-esque. Right. But I think that if he did, or if he is able to lead them to the playoffs, which would be shocking, it would really um, be a huge accolade for his legacy. It would show that he is a leader. I think for sure. It shows that it would show that wherever he goes, he can bring success to a team. Um, I think, as you mentioned, uh, his stats were a little bit lackluster for the CP3 standards last year. I think this year, for sure, they're going to go up. Uh, the points, uh, his usage in general is going to go up. He's always going to have that high assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, he's always going to be in the top 10 around there for guards in terms of steals. But I think it's interesting to note that for this Thunder team, uh, with all the picks that they acquired, I think it was six picks in that uh, trade for Paul George. That um, was crazy. They're, they're kind of fine with uh, being, um, you know, bottom of the barrel. Even They don't want to be pushed over, you know, at their home games and stuff like that. They want to keep their fans and all that good stuff but this is a team that's not going to be too concerned uh at the moment in terms of winning right now uh making the playoffs they probably actually rather miss the playoffs and use some of those good picks uh that they got uh really really rebuild around this young core um including terrence ferguson hamadou diallo those kind of guys and really try to build an identity uh for these young guys uh coming up and we'll see what they end up doing with chris paul if they try to flip him for more picks or if they can keep him, but he's very hard to trade, especially uh, with the with the cat pit that he brings on his contract. So we'll see how that goes. That's a great point, and I was talking about the agree or disagree of whether he can lead the team to the playoffs, but that's a great point that they probably don't want to make the playoffs because in the NBA, it's interesting. Being mediocre is almost worse than being bad. It's almost worse right, than it's being like bad. Purgatory. It's NBA purgatory. Right, exactly. Like you're just in that midway zone. You don't really get a great draft pick, even though it, the lottery has kind of changed in the last few years. Um, that's why it's been so hard to be a Knicks fan. Is because like yeah. in the past few years, especially when Carmelo Anthony was on the team, we were always mediocre. We weren't bad. We weren't good. We were right in the middle, and that was the worst because uh, we couldn't get really great cha- like draft picks or um, free agent signings. I mean, it was just I don't know. It was miserable. But that's Knicks. I can talk about that for hours. But right. um, but yeah, speaking of the Thunder, back to that. That's a great point you make about how. They should focus on their young guys, Hamado Diallo and um, Shai Gilgis Alexander, and then all of those draft picks that they got. It's just interesting because ever since Chris Paul was in L.A. and Steph Curry kind of rose up and surpassed him, I will never forget that passing of the torch when Steph uh, did the double behind the back and made CP3 fall and then Literally nailed like it in his face. Skate, uh, skateboard. Yeah, <laughs> right, and it was just like, I remember it was just miserable for the Clippers because it was not only CP, like, 
it was like, wow, that's that's the passing of the torch. But I remember it was like 40% of those fans in that building were Warriors fans. Right. Um, so it was just miserable for the whole Clippers organization overall. But um, it seems like ever since that point, not that play specifically, but kind of just in that season or, or in that area, he never was the same. He never was like the top point guard. He, people used to consider him the best point guard in the world. And, I mean, he was the leader of Team USA. Um, and he was just so talented. I still think he's talented. But it's not the same, and that's due to injuries as well. It's kind of unfortunate to see. Yeah. But anyways, um, that's kind of getting off topic now. Let's get back to the NBA media days. So the Thunder one was certainly interesting to see that team, but let's move on to a different team. I want to look at the Miami Heat. Now, obviously, they got Jimmy Buckets, your, your guy who left the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> not um, your guy anymore. Not your guy anymore, yeah. <laughs> um, but now on the Miami Heat... He seems to be like that one big offseason move, that big acquisition that a team got that nobody is talking about. I mean, the Miami Heat, they're a big franchise. They had LeBron James, the D-Wade era, Chris Bosh, of course, the big three, um, with Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning. They've had many players that have made that franchise what it is today, the Miami Heat. And uh, they're just, they've been extremely successful. And in the years before this acquisition, it was kind of like the... Like, yeah, we have D-Wade. He's kind of getting old. It's like this is we're kind of saying goodbye to him for what he's done for our, our organization. But we haven't really had a superstar, and we really don't have much hope for, like, NBA championship we, or, or even, like, deep in the playoffs. We, those are the expectations. Now they have Jimmy Butler, who they signed in the offseason. They don't have Hassan Whiteside anymore. They got some good players. Deion Waiters, who's going to be back. People forget about him. He's my guy because he's from Syracuse. I, right. I loved him at Syracuse. Um <laughs> But anyways, let's talk about the expectations for the Heat this year, now that they do have that guy, that superstar, um, and the teammates that are surrounding him. Uh, what do you think? Uh, so yeah, so once this trade uh, went down, the sign-in trade with uh, Jimmy Butler and the Sixers getting back uh, Josh Richardson, um, there were, it seemed to be two sides uh, going on here. One, mostly the Miami fans were saying, wow, we got Jimmy Butler He's going to carry us into the promised land. We're going to be a high seed going into the playoffs, and we're going to make some noise now. Like, we're, we're on our way now. And there was another side where it's mostly Sixers fans, uh, some Jimmy Butler haters, that are saying, wow, like, Jimmy Butler really just signed in Miami to retire, basically. He wants to go out just like D-Wade, but yeah. they're not going to love him like they love D-Wade because <laughs> he hasn't brought him any championships. And he's just going to be chilling over there and being lazy and riding into the sunset, kind of. And I'm not going to lie. I was on that side uh, immediately when the trade happened. But a few months afterwards, when I learned that the Sixers actually didn't offer Jimmy Butler uh, the max contract and that it kind of had to go down this way, it kind of made me open my mind and be a little interested to see what Jimmy does um, in this situation. You mentioned that they don't have Hassan Whiteside anymore. Um, They had given him that big contract, and he was not really performing up to par. Uh, with that contract they got they got uh they moved off of him uh they got some young pieces back they got myers leonard uh they this you know they have jimmy butler uh they still have bam Adebayo, tyler harrow of course yeah tyler hero i, I like him a lot uh, yeah. they got some great young guys sorry he's heating it up in summer league right oh yeah and so um i'm interested to see what jimmy does with this team it's already looked like uh his leadership and his work ethic is kind of rubbing off on the younger guys right um, i actually saw a tweet from myers leonard uh that said that he I was, was in there yeah. at three thirty. I was going to mention that, yeah. Yeah, and he said, um, "Shout out to Bam because he was there too." Oh and wow! So, That's so. I was actually going to mention that. Um, so yeah, expectations for the Heat. Um, first, let me just touch on that. I liked what you said about you're interested to see what he's going to do with these like young talents on the team, 
And I couldn't agree more. They, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, like you mentioned, Derek Jones Jr., who can jump out of the building. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, and then they had uh, Goran Dragic, who was an all-star two years ago. I mean, people kind of forget that. He's pretty underrated. Um, and then Kelly Olenek, yes, and, and a few other talented guys. Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters. Um, but Jimmy Butler, he's going to have to kind of unite everyone and try to make his teammates better, which he's good at. Um, it's just... It's going to be weird to see him on this team for the next few years. Like, this is his team now, and people have to get used to that. And it seems like people haven't because of all the other huge moves that have happened in the offseason, AD, um, all these other ones. And, like, Jimmy Butler, like, that's his team now, and people got to get used to that. Right. Um, I mean, he's signed five years. So I mean, the max contract. So it's, it's going to be weird to see him on one team for that long of time, cons- like, hoping he doesn't leave or anything or, or right. like get traded or something which i don't think will happen because <laughs> um, he's been jumping around since the bulls but i i hope he can make him, his teammates better and i'd love to see jimmy butler stay uh in the postseason and because it's always more fun when you have bigger names and bigger superstars right but regardless of hoping i think that he can do it i mean especially in the eastern conference where it's um definitely weaker but i think that expecting how far the heat will go this year or how well they will do all depends on his leadership. How effectively can Jimmy Butler lead this Miami Heat team? You mentioned that he showed up at practice uh, scheduled for 10 a.m. at 3.30 a.m. in the morning. That's Insane. unbelievable. I mean, he yep. said, like, this was a quote. It was similar to this. He was like, I was working while y'all were in your third dream or something like that. I thought back, and I was like, I probably was in my third dream around <laughs> that time. Right. But, um, no, but, I mean, it, that's crazy. I'm literally... So, like obviously I'm sleeping at that point right and he's in the gym that's unheard of I mean we thought 4 a.m. was ridiculous with Kobe Bryant uh, anyways like you mentioned Myers Leonard posted on his Instagram story that he was in there at 3 30 a.m. too he said I was like Jimmy's getting on me he's inspiring me Bam Adebayo like you said was there I didn't know that but you mentioned that yep so you already see how he's rubbing off on his teammates he's inspiring them to work harder like he wants everyone to want it which mm-hmm. is what he's grown frustrated with in the past. Right. I, I'm thinking mainly of the Minnesota Timberwolves, how with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, they're very talented players, but instead of getting in the gym to do extra hours, get some extra shots up, some drills, they wanted to play like Fortnite. So right. so he was getting frustrated with that, and that's why all that drama happened there, obviously. Um, and I'm going to let you talk about leadership. I know I've been kind of going off now for a little yeah. bit about this. It's all good. Um, but I want to talk about just this opportunity that he has um, being the real centerpiece with a team ever since Chicago. He hasn't really been the centerpiece since Chicago. Yes, he's been the biggest name or maybe the best player on a team, but not the centerpiece. In Minnesota, uh, like I mentioned, frustrations grew, um, and he didn't really have that much time to adjust either. That yeah. He only had really just kind of a season and a half there. Um, or really, I think it was two seasons, actually. Yeah. Two seasons there. But, but obviously, there were frustrations, frustration um, with the coaching and the players. And then on the Sixers, he was there for a very brief period. And he played different roles on a nightly basis. Um, what I mean by that is that one night, he was the hero. He had to score like 30 points and then hit the game winner to get his team to win. Other nights, he was kind of like backing off a little bit, letting Joel post up, get the scoring, other guys score. Um, and he would maybe have like five points, five or ten points, but the team would get the win. And that's what makes Jimmy so versatile and dynamic is because he can play any role and he knows what he needs to do to get his team to win. But it was inconsistent there. And that's what kind of, in my opinion, um, hurt them later in the playoffs because people didn't know like 
who they wanted to have the ball um, in crunch time and things like that. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah, so those different roles kind of affect him in Philly. Now he's back um, as the centerpiece of a team. He's got, he got the max contract he wanted. He's on a team that where he's going to be the leader, obviously. Um, and, like, this is his time. So, I don't know. It's going to be fun. Um, I, do you have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I think for sure. Uh, going back to that 3.30 thing, um, showing up to practice at 3.30, probably didn't tell anybody when he did that the first day. It really goes to show uh, Jimmy's style of leadership. Um, we've heard the stories about him uh, in Minnesota at practice, you know, yelling at guys and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He'll say some things at press conferences. But he's really a guy that likes to keep to himself. He's not uh, much of a, a vocal leader, and he more likes to lead by example. So I thought that that was a very interesting uh, way for him to lead by example at the first practice. Um, but I want to see it on the court as well. I think at certain times um, during the regular season for the Sixers, he was kind of uh, you know just jogging up and down on defense, you know, sitting in the corner on offense because that's where Brett wanted to have him, but he didn't really like that. Um, and then he would just come alive in the fourth quarter, and we would give him the ball, we'd get out the way, and he would just go to work. Um, I think now with him being the centerpiece of the team, as you said, there's no uh, young – well, there are, like, young players on the team, but not really a young budding star that they're uh, set on building the um, organization around. He's really that main guy. I want to see him do it on both ends of the floor for 48 minutes. Well, not obviously – not uh, 48 minutes literally, but both <laughs> ends of the floor, all four quarters, uh, just going hard in and out of every game and Through really the set that season. example. Yeah, really set that example for his teammates. Okay. And then once the postseason comes around, it's it's Jimmy Butler. You know yeah, it's, his competitive spirit. Yeah. He's going to take over games. That's great, yeah. I just remember that one year. Um, it was either his first or second year at the Timberwolves, um, and they were playing the Nuggets for the last game of the season, and it was for the eighth seed. And everybody going into the game was like, you know, the Nuggets might have a better team. They're deeper, but Jimmy Butler's not going to let them lose this game. I mean, yeah, there's, right. there's talk about Cat and all that, but people knew, like, Jimmy Butler's that guy. That competitive spirit is not going to let his team down. And that's what I want to see come back um, for the Miami Heat this year. So for expectations... Um, I still see him being a, a bottom half team in the East. I think um, I have teams like the Sixers, uh, the Bucks, Pacers, uh, the Celtics. I think they're all going to be um, have a better season than the Heat. Uh, but the Heat's roster is going to have them looking at about an eight seed. But just having Jimmy Butler there for the end of games uh, when it's winning time is going to give them that boost, that extra three or four wins you get from having a clutch player like that. I see them being a six or seven te- seed and giving uh, giving a team some problems in the first round, um, but I don't really see them getting out of the first round. Uh, and like I said, you know, a low low seed in the East, but definitely making uh, the playoffs. I like it. I like it. Moving on to the next team and media day uh, that I thought was pretty interesting. It's the New Orleans Pelicans. I always got to talk about the Pelicans. Lonzo Ball, my guy. Let's talk about this first. Uh, he's got a new shot for him. We saw it in a video that it's kind of more centered and he like when he was asked about it um by reporters he said like i didn't try to change my shot it's just over time working on it it's kind of changed by itself it's gradually changed over time what are your thoughts on his new shot and and Um, i see that you uh added that he had a shooting competition with jj reddick i saw that video too um so sorry go ahead yeah um i saw the new shot form in a video that he posted on his instagram um and I, I saw remnants of that old shot form, that old launching it off the left shoulder uh, with his right hand, but just a little more centered. Um, I think, like you said, like as you keep working out, you keep training, um, the strength that he builds is just going to lean more and more to, towards looking to like a regular shot. 
uh, once it gets that repetition going, uh, he can get a smoother shot form. But in that first video I saw on his Instagram, I was like, oh, this is a nice new shot form, but it kind of looks slow. And I saw that shooting competition with JJ, and he was getting it off quick, you know, uh, talking smack to JJ while he was getting it off. Like, don't talk to me, don't talk to me. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm on fire and stuff like that. And um, I, I like what I'm seeing at Alonzo right now. I like the competitive spirit, too, between him and JJ. So yeah, yeah, I'm no. That, sure. I, I obviously was just smiling so hard watching that video. It's finally great to see Lonzo hitting his shots, but um, I think it's it really wasn't the shot form that was hurting him. I think, it, and he mentioned this in a press conference at Media Day when asked about his shot. He said the main thing is confidence. It's confidence, and and especially for him with all the people that are saying your shot form is terrible, that's why you stink, that's why you're terrible, your dad is also terrible. Like, yeah. like I mean, they all just hate on him, and it's sad. But it's, it's just confidence. In high school, he shot the ball fine with that form. And he was going way over to the left side um, in high school. Right. And at UCLA, he shot the ball fine. 40% uh, from three. Right. People forget. Right, people do forget. I mean, he was fine in college and in high school. In his first uh, season with the Lakers, yes, it wasn't the best. But other rookies really couldn't shoot that well either it, it's just everyone was focused on Lonzo Ball um so people just kind of sought him out on purpose but I so I don't really think it was the form but obviously straightening it out a little bit and then seeing him knock it down consistently is something that's great to see and I'm hoping he, he has more confidence this season and can up that shooting percentage and have more confidence in his shot you know shoot the ball more for sure and uh that relates to um you know the jersey I'm wearing right now the Ben Simmons uh shirt I got oh. on um <laughs> But both of them, it's kind of, it kind of seems like they're they're caring a little bit less and less about what the media has to say about them. I think that helps them build that internal confidence um, by you know shutting out those external factors. Uh, the media is going to keep asking them questions about you know their shooting and stuff like that, and they want to like shy away from that. But they're also in their mind they're like I'm putting in the work, and people are going to see uh, what's going to happen. Uh, so I really like that attitude that Lonzo's going with. Uh, he's, you know, focusing on his daughter and, you know, and all that and just, just himself as a person. Right. I think that's going to help with his shot form uh, as well. He's, it's just going to build his confidence, you know, shut out all the haters and all, like you said, all the people hating on him for no reason and really just go out and show him all the work that you've been putting in uh, in the offseason. Right. And and just because you said that, it's not really for no reason. It's because they don't, also don't like his dad. Yeah, but yeah. but not, like but that's not, everything that's, that's happened. With, well, it does have to. It is his dad. right. But everything that's happened now, like he's his own man, and he's really kind of like being individual now. He's, he's like very um, on his own. He wanted he wants to be on his own. But anyways, that's a whole uh, another whole conversation, a whole discussion. Let's talk about the Pelicans as a whole now, not just Lonzo Ball and JJ Redick. The Pelicans made huge strides this offseason. Huge. I mean. You look at them, and, and it's now the post-AD era and, and everything that happened there, how terribly it ended when he just got to a point where he refused to play, which is just unbelievable. Um, but just seeing all the moves that the Pelicans made this offseason shows how large of a step they were able to make um, post-AD. And I'm really excited to watch it. Their additions included my guy, Lonzo Ball, as we've been talking about, Josh Hart, who actually went to Villanova, uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jackson Hayes, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, J.J. Redick, Derek Favors, and some other guys too, but those are the main acquisitions um, of the offseason. They had such a fantastic offseason. I think that they had the best offseason of any team in the NBA. Now, I want to get your thoughts on this. Um, what do you think this team will be like in the future? I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about in years to come. Do you want to go first? Uh, no, you can, you can start if you want. Okay. 
So I think that we will look back in a few years and say that this was one of the best trades a franchise has made in NBA history. With the development of these players and the team chemistry, I think the team will have great amounts of success, and I'm super excited to see it. Um, I really have high expectations for them. I've talked about in the past how they could possibly sneak in the playoffs this year, although that's all going to kind of depend on how healthy all the guys can stay, how well um, their chemistry is. Right. And just because I thought of this, um, did you see that video of Lonzo Ball throwing Zion and alley-oop in practice? Yeah. That's awesome. I can... I, I just like jumped up and down when I saw it. I was like, uh-huh. let's go. That's all like, I've been waiting for. This is all season long. I mean, yeah. gosh, you can't pair up a better duo like that. I mean, with Lonzo's passing ability, and he even said, like, it's hard to throw Zion Williamson a bad lob because the guy just jumps up, catches anything, and will slam it down. Um, but anyways, back to the Pelicans. Uh, I'm super excited to see how they will go in the future. And I think in years to come, this team is going to be a powerhouse. We're going to look back and we're going to say, Wow. Like, they really got a great return on investment uh, in that Anthony Davis trade. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I think if they keep everybody uh, in this young core under contract uh, for the years to come, that they can create a foundation to build on uh, for the future. Uh, I think they're, it's definitely going to hinge on, you know, the likes of, like, LeBron, PG, Kawhi, you know, Russell Westbrook, Harden, Curry, and them. They're going to get older, uh, kind of phase out of the league. And... Um, Really, people uh, in this Pelicans core, when you're looking at the potential All-Stars, you're looking at Lonzo Ball and Zion Williamson um, primarily. So uh, the Pelicans have come out and said and said that uh, Zion Williamson is not here to save this organization right now. And I think that they're saying that because they want to keep the pressure low on Zion, especially internally. But for this team to, to really um, to blow, blow up um, in years to come, Zion's going to have to be one of the centerpieces. It's going to be... I think, like you said, Lonzo and Zion, that kind of represents, that lob kind of represents what's it, what it's going to be in the future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully they can keep those two together, but it's going to be Lonzo and Zion, um, and Zion especially. He's going to have to be that all-star that kind of pushes them over the top, just like every every uh, good team has that guy. You know, Nuggets got Jokic, Blazers got Dame, Lakers got AD and LeBron, Clippers got uh, PG and Kawhi. Lakers got yeah. Alex Caruso. Exactly, and Caruso, <laughs> the, that big three over there. Uh, you're going to need a guy a guy like that to put you over the top day in and day out, you know, be it an, an all-star level player. And I think Zion's going to have to be that guy. For sure, for sure. On to the next topic. We have an interesting statistic here. Players who have scored the most points under the age of 21 includes the following. Devin Booker has the record with 70 points, followed by LeBron, who had 56. Then Brandon Jennings, who had 55. I think it was in his, like, what, seventh NBA game? Yeah, yeah, something crazy. crazy like that. And then uh, followed by LeBron James again with 52 points. Now, give your thoughts on these. Uh, consider it, right? Now I want you to think about which young guy now in the league, currently under the age of 21, do you think can replace one of these guys on this list or even break some of these records? Right, so uh, my first thought when I thought about this is Trey Young. Um, I think he's like kind of like the mini Steph Curry. Ice in that, Trey. Exactly, Ice Trey the gang. <laughs> In that he can he can just heat up at any time at any moment. Uh, even when he was in high school, I loved watching his mixtapes. You know how he's hitting threes left and right, even in the clutch, yeah. bow, bowing towards the crowd like, yeah, I do this. Um, and he's got that he's got that competitive mentality too. Uh, so I think that he could really heat it up. And with the Hawks especially, uh, that's a team that's going to be competitive in a lot of games. Um, and so you know a game where you know you're either getting blown out or you're really competitive. That's the those are those games where they keep you in. The whole time, you always hear about Steph Curry getting 50 points through three quarters, and people are like, 
well, if they would have kept him in the in the uh, fourth quarter, who knows how many he would have put up because they're crushing teams. I think right. with the Hawks, they're going to be that's going to be one of those exciting teams. They're going to be in every game, and uh, if they keep it competitive, I think for sure uh, Trey could challenge could end up challenging that Devin Booker uh, seventy mark. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, there are so many super talented young guys in the NBA right now. Um, Trey Young was definitely a guy that I had on my list. Last year, people don't even think about how he had 50 points and 14 assists in one game. That is unbelievable. I mean, that is absolutely unbelievable. So Trey Young nearly came within it, um, breaking one of these records. Uh, LeBron's uh, at number fourth ranked 52 points. I mean, so he was barely there, um, or almost there. But people don't even think about that enough. 50 and 14 as a rookie, that's unheard of. And that's why it's just crazy how hype can take guys so far. I mean, if Lonzo Ball put up those stats in his rookie season, I mean, people would go off the walls. Yeah. I mean, and as much as a Lonzo fan as I am and how much I love the way he plays, and given they're different players, but if he put up those stats in year one, I mean, it would just be a completely different story of how he is in the NBA. People would be so up high on him, and right. yet Trey Young does it, and people kind of, like, it kind of wears off yeah, a little bit. it's a little slept on. Now, another guy I have on my list of players who can reach this or even break some of these records um, is Cam Reddish, and I really believe this one. Uh, Trey's teammate, and by the way, the Hawks are going to be fantastic this year as well. I can't wait to see that. Um, but Cam Reddish, obviously at Duke, he averaged 13.5 points per game, but that was because he was playing with Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett, and right. along with other scorers as well. Um, but he's one of the best scorers in the nation in college, and now I think he's going to actually kind of be more free, I, I'm going to say, um, within Atlanta. I think that he's going to have more freedom to do, like kind of play his game, you know, do what he does. In high school, people don't really remember, or even maybe they never even knew, that he was one of just the deadliest scorers in the nation. I mean, you could not stop this guy. And I actually thought before he entered the draft or before his season was over at Duke that the way he plays with his length, uh, his wingspan, his IQ, his ability to shoot, his footwork, his handles, everything, um, I think he's very similar to Kevin Durant. I think he's more of a similar comparison to Kevin Durant than Brandon Ingram was when he was entering the league. Right. Um, now, given I don't think that, especially with Trey Young on his team, it's going to be very difficult for him to reach even like 40 points on a given night um but he's definitely one of the best young scorers in the league and i think he's definitely someone you should keep an eye out for yeah i totally agree um a couple points here uh so thinking back to that you know trey young comparison to steph curry uh we've seen clay thompson uh even in games where steph curry's been hot to start clay thompson just heats it up right uh he doesn't really he doesn't really create his own shot besides you know running off the screen and he's had those games where it's like 58 points and 11 dribbles I think uh, Cam Reddish, he's got that torch, that kind of heater on him too, where he could have those type of ga- types of games where even with uh, Trey Young getting a bunch of the attention, it just takes .3 seconds for Cam Reddish to come off the screen, catch and shoot, and really light it up. Um, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot better spacing for him in the NBA as well, um, and hopefully he gets more minutes so he's able to be more consistent. But uh, going back to that point you made about um, Cam Reddish in high school, uh, there was actually a Balls Life video for the um, Balls Life All-Star game and they were asking a bunch of kids uh, who the toughest guy for them to guard in high school was. And kids from this class and from last class, um, in terms of high schoolers, were all saying Cam Reddish. A bunch of them were oh, saying really? Cam wow. Reddish. Um, he dropped 50 points in uh, Peach Jam game, which is like the best of the best right. in terms of Nike uh, EYBL uh, tournaments. And um, that also leads me to another one of my sleeper picks. 
Uh, even though Michael Porter Jr. is 21 right now, he's not under 21, so he doesn't really go with the criteria that right. you were saying. Right. Um, he, he hasn't really had a chance to, uh, you know, he hasn't even played an NBA game, so he hasn't really uh, had a chance to showcase his skills. But I think he's another one of those guys that can heat up in a hurry and was very unstoppable in high school. So it all depends on how healthy he is. But um, I think he's a def- definitely another guy to uh, keep in mind, a guy that some people forget about. For sure. And we're going to talk more about him later, uh, about specifically a viral video that went around of him throwing down a ridiculous dunk. We're also going to talk about Kristaps Porzingis, uh, Max Kellerman's recent statement about Giannis surpassing Michael Jordan as the GOAT, and more. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Swish Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Swish Report. We have some more cool topics to talk about. Let's get right into it. Max Kellerman made a statement recently about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, he, the quote was, Giannis could replace Michael Jordan as the GOAT if he starts to hit threes. What are your thoughts on this comment? Uh, for me, so uh, initially when I saw this comment, I, you know, I disagreed. I was like, I don't think MJ is the GOAT. But that's obviously a discussion for another day. Um, I'd say that for sure, if Giannis could start knocking down threes at a reasonable clip, uh, let's say about you know, somewhere between 36% to 40% from three, um, anywhere up around there, he would be borderline unstoppable as an offensive player. Um, think about KD, but faster, stronger, and a better defender. Um, Giannis hitting threes, you wouldn't be able to pack the paint against him. Yeah. He'd be able to shoot over the top. Um, just like KD, he's almost a seven-footer. Uh, we're going to see his true height with the new rule that you got to list your height. Um, right. He's he's just about 6'10", 6'11", and coming downhill, once you play up on him to guard that three, um, you're not going to be able to guard him uh, co- going downhill, getting around you. Um, so he'd easily average 30 a game with a consistent three-point shot, I think. Um, he wouldn't have to rely as much as going into the uh, on going into the paint, which would allow him to conserve more energy and be a better uh, and more effective clutch player uh, down the stretch. Um, and I think he could easily be in the conversation for GOAT status with that type of game, but it, he would obviously have to um, build a kind, the type of resume to kind of challenge the likes of LeBron and Jordan in terms of that debate, and it would certainly take a lot of time. He'd have to dominate the East for many years, but I think for sure, like, if he builds that type of uh, primary game, he could challenge those guys for sure. Definitely. Um, so, Kevin, how many championships does Giannis have again? Uh, Giannis doesn't have any. Actually. Oh, zero. okay. That's what I. Okay. So I, I just wanted to refresh my memory <laughs> there. All right. So yeah, zero championships. Like, are you serious right now? <laughs> We're talking about him being the goat with zero championships. Look, yes, Giannis is one of the most dominant players with physical stature, skill wise, his IQ, his speed, um, and that the game has ever seen. And he's only going to get better because he's so young. But he is not in the goat conversation yet. Absolutely not. Um, yes, he's going to be a superstar, and he's going to run this league. It's going to be his league in a few years, um, especially as LeBron and Curry and all these other guys start to fade out. It's going to be his league, but he is not in the GOAT conversation yet. He needs to start uh, – I mean, the Bucks were good last year. They were number one in the East. Um, or, or they were top two, I think. No, no, they were number one. Yep, one seed. And, yep, they're one seed. And But except in the playoffs, yes, they won some series, dominated the Celtics. It was great to see. And it looks like he's really sprouting into that player that can lead a team um, just single-handedly. And now they're actually skilled. They surrounded with some great pieces. And they were up 2-0 against the Raptors, but the Raptors came back and moved on. And we know what happened from there. Um, but it just seems like now he's kind of like elevating his status. He's getting to that point where he's almost making the finals. I, that was That's crazy, actually, that he almost did. Um, and in years to come, if he does, 
it's going to be very impressive. And maybe if he gets to the finals consistently and wins a few championships, that's when we can start having that conversation. But right now, people forget how young this guy is. I mean, this guy is still like a child. I mean, compared to these other players in the NBA, which is why it's so scary on what our expectations um, of him can be in the future. Right. Now, given that, like that being said, um, he can certainly be one of the most skilled and unstoppable players that this league has ever seen, maybe in NBA history, by adding the three ball to his bag of tricks. There's no question about it. But I just think we can't have that conversation until he starts winning championships. I mean, we didn't do it with LeBron. And when he was getting the finals, like people were kind of winking at it. But we weren't talking about it, or not us, because we were maybe a little young. But (laughs) analysts were not talking about it because you have to win one, or at least a couple, to get in that conversation. LeBron has three. Uh, Kobe has five, and that's why they were in those conversations. But, like, at the end of the day, looking at LeBron and Michael Jordan, that's the most famous, uh, greatest of all time debate. People always come down to the championships. Jordan has six. LeBron has threes. Giannis, he's got zero. So before I actually start looking at that, he's got to win a few. Exactly. Moving on, Kristaps Porzingis. He's back. This is going to be so much fun to watch him this season. He's on the Mavericks, as we know, uh, from that trade last season from the Knicks. Now, he was injured two years ago with the New York Knicks. He tore his ACL. Actually, I think he dunked on Giannis. When he, do you remember that play? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that he, was crazy. He dunked on Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was awesome. And everyone stood up on their seats for a second. We're like, yeah. And then we saw him on the ground holding his knee. Down. And we're like, oh, okay, gosh darn it. Like, the one great moment for New York has to be run. <laughs> so he's on the ground. He tore his ACL. He's out for the rest of that season. I think he missed out of the 82 games, like the last maybe 50 or 60. Yeah, good, good portion. I, yeah, he, sure. he missed a very large portion. And then he missed the whole next season, which was last season. So people kind of, I don't want to say forgot about him, but we were looking at other players. The attention was nowhere near him for sure. Now he's back. He's got a brand new team, a brand new start on the Dallas Mavericks. He's looking so much bigger, so much stronger. Um, now, getting up and down the court, I don't know, but his jump shot looks good. And I think he's going to be a better player than what he was before with all of the development um, and kind of working on himself in his time off. Now, what are your expectations for him on the Mavericks this season? Um, I think for sure it's going to be one of those guys, Luka Doncic or Chris Porzingis, is definitely going to get an all-star spot uh, in the West this season. It kind of just depends on you know the way the voting shakes out in the first round and uh, how these guys have uh, in, terms of their, in terms of their season in the first half of the year. Um, and I totally agree with you on Chris Stapps. I've seen the workout videos. I've seen the pictures. He looks a lot bigger, yeah. a lot stronger. Um, he took a lot of time off, which meant that he got the full rehab. Uh, he should be coming back just about 100% uh, the way he was before and even stronger. And people forget this guy is one of, if not the tallest person in the league. It's him and Boban pretty much, right, at 7'2", seven, 7'3". Seven, right. He's huge, and he can shoot threes. You know, He's going to be able to stretch the floor, block shots on the other end of the floor, uh, deter defenders from going into the rim. Um, I expect them to have a monster year, and I think it kind of depends because we know that Luca is going to be is going to be a beast. Like pretty much pick up where he left off uh, end of his rookie year. Defenses might figure him out a little bit more, but I think having another uh, All Star caliber player like Kristaps uh, Porzingis will um, it won't allow defenses to to key in just yeah. on Luca. And I think if Kristaps has a great season, even if he was just kind of like he was in New York that this team is definitely going to challenge for, you know, an eighth, a seventh or eighth spot in the West. 
uh, right up there with the you know the Kings, the Spurs, those yeah. other teams, uh, the Pelicans that are going to be challenging for those final couple spots in the West. Um, and I'm super excited to see uh, how Chris Stapps is, if he's a little more explosive even uh, than he was in the Knicks. And like you said, we've seen those shooting videos too. The, the jumper's still smooth. I mean, we kind of oh that. yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I'm I, I. Do you have anything else to say on that? No, you can you can go. Well, I just wanted to say I definitely agree with you um, on the point that. It's going to be, I'm kind of eager to see if he'll still have that first step that he had in New York when he was like that young kid just coming out of the draft and no one knew what to expect. He had that quick first step, uh, that fast moving footwork, and that's what made him so dominant. And then, of course, the jump shot um, made him just such a dynamic player. Now, people forget, uh, and by the way, to correct myself, he played 48 games before he got injured uh, with the Knicks in that season. So he played a good portion, but still missed a lot of time. Now, anyways, back to the point that I was going to make, people forget how dominant he was. I mean, it was his all-star season. It was his third NBA season when he got injured, and he made the all-star game, which is very impressive. He was averaging 22.7 points, shooting uh, 40, 44% from the field, 40% from three, and blocking 2.4 shots per game. Those are incredible stats. I mean, he is not only fantastic on the offensive end, but he's one of the best shot blockers in the league. And we're gonna, he actually mentioned that in an interview, which we're going to talk about right. in a second, which kind of involves R.J. Barrett a little bit on a comment that he made. But anyways, we'll get to that in a sec. Kristaps yeah. um, Porzingis, I think, is going... If, if he has that first step and that athleticism that he had before the injury, which I think he'll have because he's still only 24 years old, I think, then I think he will emerge as one of the top power forwards slash centers in the league. I think he will get right back to that point, that all-star caliber player. Usually it takes guys maybe a year to get back to that point. Like Paul George after his injury kind of needed to adjust a little bit. Gordon Hayward, as we know. Um, So it's going to be kind of like I'm eager to see if if it'll take him one year to kind of adjust. But I see him getting right back into it. Yeah, for sure. Now let's talk about the comment he made about R.J. Barrett. (laughs) Speaking about the shot blockers comment, R.J. Barrett earlier in the offseason was asked if he could dunk on anybody in the league, who would he dunk on? Right. He said, that's an interesting question. He kind of danced around it for a little bit. And then he said, all right, let's go with Porzingis. Like, Kristaps Porzingis, I want to dunk on him. Now, a video just came out about, uh, or of an interview of Porzingis talking about that comment. And he was, it's kind of funny. He's saying, like, that's a good goal. I respect that. I mean, I'm one of the best shot blockers in the league, but let's see it. Yes, let's see it happen. As if there wasn't already enough hype behind the Dallas Mavericks versus New York Knicks. They're playing twice next, or, uh, this upcoming season. Yep. If, as if there wasn't already enough hype with Porzingis returning and everything that's went down between these two teams, this just puts fuel on the fire, and it's just going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to see in the Garden and in Dallas right. um, just to see these teams go at it. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, um, I could actually see this kind of happening, this confrontation happening. Uh, just imagine this picture, okay? It's late in the third quarter. We're in the garden. Okay, we're okay. in the garden. Okay. Porzingis is in the paint. He's kind of, you know, uh, lounging around garden. Uh, Marcus Morris or Mar- Marquise Morris, whichever, whichever Morris. Yeah, whichever have. one. Yeah. <laughs> and R.J. Barrett cuts baseline. They throw him a lob. Porzingis turns around. He doesn't have enough time to react. And R.J. Barrett slams it on him. <laughs> and the score is 80 to 50. And the Mavericks are winning. Yeah, that's how bad the Knicks are going to be. Okay? I was not it, expecting that last part. You know, you know it, can ha- it, it can happen at some point. <laughs> but I'm telling you one thing for sure. The Knicks are not going to win either of those games versus the Mavericks, okay? They're going to be wow. at the bottom of wow. the league. Wow, okay. I was really not expecting that last part. I was, that's the picture you got to put in your mind. That's okay? just 80 rough. to 50, end of the third quarter. Oh, man. With the Mavericks up. <laughs> oh. 
I like the first part of that picture that you were describing. I, li- I like the first part <laughs> of that. Had us in the first half, not gonna lie. No, <laughs> no, but I, I, if he actually did that, the garden would, I mean, they would go nuts. It would be rocking. They would go it. absolutely nuts. I want to see it. I mean, I have so much respect for Przingis and what he did for the organization. And it's sad, like, that he didn't really have a chance to be back and they just let him go. But, I mean, I respect him, but I would still love to see that. I love RJ Barrett. Yeah. And that would just be so hype. Um, now, do you have any more thoughts on Porzingis, you know, playing with Doncic this season or even the Knicks? I mean, I was going to touch up on the Knicks because you were had just mentioned that scene and now I have to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I think it's Marcus Morris that they have. Marcus? Okay. Um, I don't know where Marquise is. He might still be on the Wizards or something. I think he's, yeah. he's somewhere. But I think the, the Knicks do have Marcus Morris. And I think that they're going to be better than people expect. I really do. But the young core that they have, Kevin Knox, R.J. Barrett, second pick in the draft, Alonzo Trier, who I love and who I made a video about on YouTube, um, who's very underrated, and then Julius Randle, 24 years old, Mitchell Robinson, um, who's just fantastic in the paint, blocking shots. It seems like he's a wall. You can't get anything past him. Mm-hmm. And then all these kind of big men that they got in the offseason where Knicks fans and really the NBA in general kind of just like turn their heads like, what? What's going right. on? Why do they get so many power forwards? I think that they're going to put out a team that people aren't, aren't really expecting. And they want to win. And Marcus Morris said in an interview the other day, I think we're going to surprise a few people this year. Every game's going to be a fight. And that's that New York mentality, and I absolutely love that. That, that just not giving up. Like when Ennis Cantor, I'm kind of getting off topic now, but I, I got to mention this. When Ennis Cantor was in New York City playing for the Knicks, um, and I, he's awesome, by the way. I love him. He, of course, when LeBron James came, he had to bully my guy, Frank Nilakina, the French rookie. Um, and, and when after an alley-oop passed him, Nilakina was trying to pick up the ball. Were you watching this game? And, and LeBron yep. was just standing in front of him. Nilakina kind of pushed him, elbowed him a little bit, like, get uh-huh. off me, man. And I was getting so – I was like, hey, leave him alone, especially as, like, my stance on LeBron. I'm not, like, crazy about him and, right. as, as a Knicks fan. When Cantor came over and was like, hey – like back on my team, and they started jawing at it, uh-huh. and like pushing the garden started LeBron, getting hot. Like who? Are, who is this guy? Yeah, no, like that was so great, and I was like, stick up for your teammate. That New York mentality. Obviously, at this point, the Cavs were better than the Knicks. The Knicks weren't going anywhere. But I was like, give him some some talk. Like you back off, man. Like right. that's my rookie. Like that's that New York mentality that I just love so much. And when you have players like that on on the Knicks, it just makes basketball better. I think it just makes the NBA in general better. Yeah. Um. I kind of want to touch on that, too, a little bit, because uh, this offseason when the Knicks were signed all those players, um, it kind of looked like, you know, they they uh, struck out on Kyrie and KD, right. and it just left, like, a lump sum of money for them uh, to spend, especially since the free agent class uh, next year uh, won't be nearly as good as the one uh, that was uh, this past offseason. And I kind of thought, you know, especially with even, like, Marcus Morris, he looked like he was going to sign with the Spurs, and then the Knicks uh, offered him so much more money, and he had to renege on his contract and go to the Knicks. I was kind of looking at it as, you know, a lot of these guys are just going over there for the money. They see that the Knicks have this big lump lump sum of money that they have to spend since they struck out on Katie and Kyrie, and they're just cashing in on that. And now, with all the slander that's been going on, um, people saying, oh, the Knicks are signing all these power forwards, they're hating and stuff like that, I was it was eye-opening to see that comment from Marcus Morris, saying that they want to protect the Garden every single night. Um, I think that when I first saw these signings in the offseason, I thought everybody was doing it for themselves individually, um, you know, just getting the most money they can uh, this offseason. But I, I'd like, I really like to see them come together. Um, they're all mostly on two-year deals. So really just, like, come together as a team and have that mentality that protect the garden. We're not going to let people just run over us. 
I think that, um, like I said, all those external factors, those people uh, hating on them, saying that the Knicks are going to be garbage this year, it's really going to bring them together um, as an organization. And it's going to be a prove it year for every single guy individually, but also for them as a team, seeing how they can band together uh, quickly and really make some noise in the East. For sure. Definitely agree with that insight. Um, I think you made some great points there. But now let's move on to another young player, uh, another young power forward, who we kind of touched on earlier, Michael Porter Jr., who is finally going to make his debut NBA season after being so injury-prone, really for his first year in the NBA and in college. Yeah. What are your expectations for him this season and just on the Nuggets in general? Because they have a very fun, interesting team. Nikola Jokic, uh, the dynamic big man, who's kind of just his own type of player in the NBA. And then other guys like Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, uh, new addition Jeremy Grant, also from Syracuse. So respect to him. Um, what do you expect from that team in general and MPJ? Uh, MPJ, so I'm super excited to watch MPJ. Uh, I was a big fan when he was in um, high school. I was calling him the, the light-skinned uh, Kevin Durant in high school. Uh, I thought he has a very versatile game. Uh, he can rebound, he can score. Uh, he's nice in the paint. He's nice outside the paint shooting threes. Um, he really has all three levels in terms of scoring. And I was glad to see that the Nuggets didn't rush him back. Um, I thought that uh, some teams kind of learned a hard lesson like the Celtics did, kind of rushing Gordon, Hay- uh, Gordon Hayward back. And I think that the Nuggets did a good job of, uh, you know, kind of keeping the pressure low. You know, they got him in the lottery. I think he was a 14th overall pick. Um, they kind of let him sit out, let him, uh, you know, watch everybody um, – in the Nuggets, see how the organization really runs, kind of giving them that Ben Simmons type of uh, red shirt year. And I think that he's going to come back, and it, he looks explosive. Like, let's not forget to mention that, like, that, that Duncan practice I had off that dime from Jokic, um, he's looking explosive out there, and it's looking like uh, they had him on the same team as Jokic and Murray, which means he might be in the rotation for them. So I'm excited to see him play. Um, I'm really hyped to see him maybe even challenge for Rookie of the Year this year. Hopefully he doesn't get as much ha- uh, hate as... Ben Simmons got for kind of having that uh, year and a half um, to learn or whatever. Um, but the Nuggets themselves, I feel like uh, adding Michael Porter Jr. gives them more of a dynamic score that they can go to. I think um, Jamal Murray was uh, very good for them. He was very consistent. Uh, they just gave him that big uh, $170 million five-year extension. Um, so they're looking for him to have a big year. And then Jokic too, but Jokic is more of a passer. I right. think uh, Porter Jr. gave him that dynamic score that can go get a bucket uh, whenever he wants from all three levels of the of the floor. Um, but I do think that they're going to kind of be um, trapped within that four to six uh, spot in the West. I see teams like the Lakers and the uh, Lakers, Clippers, um, Rockets kind of having better seasons than them. Um, I see them kind of packed in there with, uh, you know, a less healthy Golden State Warriors team, um, the Utah Jazz uh, like those teams that are on the come up, the Portland Trailblazers, kind of packed in with them. Those teams that might not have as much star power, uh, I kind of see them, uh, you know, somewhere between four and seven in the West, but definitely making some noise. I, that those Western Conference playoffs are going to be very interesting to watch, especially with teams like the Nuggets that were top three teams these last couple of years, uh, being maybe not even getting a home game to start. Um, so I see them around there, but definitely making the playoffs. Definitely a, a playoff team. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that especially in the past uh, few years, how in the stacked Western Conference they've been able to make the playoffs last year, not only make the playoffs, but make it with ease, um, that they'll be a playoff team again this year, especially with MPJ kind of coming back. And it's going to be fun to see him. Now, talking about him specifically, not the Nuggets, but Michael Porter Jr., 
I want to talk about just my thoughts on him for this season and what I've thought about him in the past. Now, first of all, first coming into the league, I was a little skeptical about him, and even before he decided to enter the draft. Because when he first got to Missouri, where his dad coaches, he said, I am not going to leave throughout my first year if I don't get what I want. Like, he, I want a championship. This, he said this at the Mizzou Media Day. He said, I want to have a legacy here. I want to build a legacy and win this school national championship and be one of the greats at this college. Like, I want to be one of those players. And I had so much respect for that. Now, he was injured for his lone college season at Missouri, the whole season, and decided to enter the NBA draft right after that. Now, that was just completely going back on his words. And I did not like that even one bit. I, I mean, he made a commitment to the school. Uh, he made a promise, and then he went back on his word. So I was like, come on, man. Like, obviously, I don't blame him, but I just wish he didn't say that in the first place um, where he could go back on his words like that. Now, entering the draft, he was injured, obviously, from his college basketball season, um, and he was con- continued to be injured throughout his first NBA season. So it really didn't count for him, uh, even though it should. Ben Simmons was not a rookie. No. <laughs> ben Simmons was not a rookie. But... Um, he actually posted, by the way, on that comment that he made at the Missouri Media Day, he actually posted a picture by the Swish Report on his Facebook, which was really cool. Nice. I, I quoted him and like made the graphic, and he posted it on Facebook. Um, I don't know why he would post it on Facebook. No one really yeah. uses that, but it was kind of cool to see that. But anyways, um, back to the injuries. He then entered the NBA draft anyway and fell down much lower than expected. He was the 14th overall pick in the 2018 NBA draft. Um, when before the college basketball season, people were had him at like number three and number four, <clears throat> even top two sometimes. Um, and by the way, entering the draft, I was skeptical because we were essentially judging him off of his high school highlights. He didn't play at Missouri, and he was dominant in high school because he was playing against kids that are like like five feet tall. They look like me and you. Yeah. And so, it, like, obviously it's going to change. And I'm not saying that his high school competition was terrible, but it's high school. It's, it's obviously we know that that is a different level than the college basketball level and especially the NBA level. So I was very skeptical. As, and he got the same back surgery at age 19 that Steve Kerr had at age 52 and that Tiger Woods had at his old age. And we know that the effect that it had on them, Steve Kerr was out many games um, and he's just coaching on the sideline. And then Tiger Woods had his terrible injuries. Um, although we're not talking about golf here, back to MPJ. Right. Yeah, the point is, I was very doubtful about his return, bec- knowing that, like having that fact. Um, so it was very concerning, but he's looking great in scrimmages. And we t- saw the viral video of him throwing down a standing jump windmill dunk. Um, and so he's got that same bounce, and he's looking like he's got the same athleticism, and he's young. Uh, and we've given him some time, so I'm ex- excited to finally see him enter the league this year. Um, and I think he's going to have a great season. He's yeah, a, sure. he's tall. He's a great shooter. He's great down low. I think he needs to be aggressive and be a little bit more physical than what we've seen in the past. But it's going to be so much fun to watch him play, especially with those young guys on the Nuggets this season. Yeah, it's going to be tough for players like uh, you know uh, Malik Beasley and uh, those other guys that are in the rotation to really carve out their minutes. Like this team is so deep. Um, they still got Paul Millsap starting. Uh, Nikola Jokic. I forgot about him. All those guys, <laughs> but um, they they're. They got those quality bench pieces too, like I like I mentioned, Malik Beasley, uh, Monte Morris. Uh, those are guys that were key in their playoff runs, uh, spelling guys like Murray and Jokic. And it's going to be tough for those guys to carve out minutes, but we'll see how the Nuggets coaching staff uh, deals with that. Definitely, I want to move on to the Warriors because you can't have a podcast without talking about the Warriors, the Golden right. State Warriors. 
Obviously, we have seen some changes this offseason. I mean, should I even say it? Kevin Durant <laughs> leaving to go to the Warriors. Um, or Sorry, from the Warriors to the Nets. Restoring uh, balance in the league. Right, restoring like balance in the league. Yeah, Thanos, sure, okay. Uh, that was more Kawhi Leonard, I think. But yeah, anyways, yeah. we're talking about the Warriors here. They got D'Angelo Russell, who that's a very interesting acquisition. And just looking at them on media day, I think, no, Clay Thompson, he's staying out next season. Or they say that he's going to miss at least 55 games, um, which is right near the All-Star break at, right. at that time. Now, I actually I quoted something on the Swish report that I posted, I think it was last week, where a doctor who specialized in knees and ACL injuries said that if Clay wants to be a good player and, and the player that he's used to, he should stay out two years. And that's, that's pretty, I mean, that, that sounds a little bit extreme. With the team that they have, who we're expected to see through the majority of the season, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and D'Angelo Russell, obviously this is a very different look for the Warriors. How do you expect the dynamics to be on the team and the team chemistry with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, who, as we know, is so different from Klay Thompson? He's not a spot-up shooter like Clay, who's very, which is perfect when you're playing with Steph Curry. He's a guy that requires the ball for much of the possession to get a good play and a good score. Um, I mean, what do you expect? Uh, for sure. So uh, we've seen those videos. Uh, there's a lot of viral videos kind of going on about right. uh, training camp and these first couple practices with teams. Uh, we see D'Angelo Russell working on a shooting with Steph Curry. Uh, they're splashing out there. It's looking like D'Angelo Russell is either going to be, you know, whatever you want to call him, the third splash brother, uh, the first splash cousin. Splash uncle. Yeah, splash uncle maybe. <laughs> I mean, he's younger than those guys, so maybe a splash nephew. You splash know. steps on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, whatever. So, um... <laughs> So, yeah, I think that um, they're going to try to make D'Angelo a little bit more of a spot-up shooter, but he also will have times during games where, you know, his uh, minutes are probably going to be staggered a little bit between uh, him and Steph, and he's going to be able to be the primary ball handler uh, for that team in terms of um, creating his own shot and doing kind of what he did in Brooklyn. Uh, I especially think that they're going to keep him out there um, to lead that second unit um, and really be like that main scorer out there. Uh, but I think like to start games, um, they're going to do what they usually do, um, have Steph really bring the ball down the court, but Dre act as the point guard, let Steph and D'Angelo Russell run off those uh, those down screens, really create space on the inside, and then let uh, either you know D'Lo and Dre or Steph and Dre run that pick and roll that's so lethal, especially when you have a right. great shooter, a great shooter like Steph. And I think that's going to be that's that's pretty much going to be their main offense. Uh, I think as a team, they're going to be very weak defensively. Uh, especially without Klay Thompson out there on the perimeter. Um, right, he's he's an underrated defender in the league. Exactly. Like, Steph and D'Lo are going to be arguing about who gets to guard the worst uh, player in the backcourt because <laughs> somebody's going to be getting cooked every night, especially oh, when you're man. playing those. I mean, imagine them going up against Portland. It's going to be oh. CJ and uh, it's Dame time. Have that. It's yeah, Dame time. They're going to have that date circled on their calendar. Like, I'm, I need one of us is getting 40. Um, yeah. But Draymond's obviously a capable defender. Um, they have Willie Cauley-Stein, who's uh, pretty good. Pretty I forgot shot, about shot, him. Shot I, I totally forgot about him, yeah. Yeah, he's probably going to end up starting with that with um, the rest of those guys they have on the list, right? Right. I mean, they don't really have a, a set center. Or, or, like, they don't have the Jordan Bell anymore. They, they got rid of him. Mm-hmm. I think he's on the Mavericks or something. Yeah. Or he's somewhere. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, he's on the Timberwolves. Um, right, right, yeah. yeah but they don't have Jordan Bell anymore. No, I don't even know if they have Andrew Bogut. It seems like he's always on the roster, even yeah, he's when he's, always, even if he retires. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, the point is, they don't really have a set center position. And this acquisition of Collie Stein, I think, is huge. Coming out of Kentucky, he was one of the highly touted uh, prospects in the draft. 
at Kentucky, they first got him, John Calipari, um, because he played football in high school and he was a receiver. This is a seven foot like one guy play, uh-huh. playing receiver in high school. So he was cheat code, right? I mean, he was fast and like very speedy. He was quick. He he had great agility, and a guy like that is at seven foot two or, or seven foot whatever is unbelievable. You don't really see that very often when you do. Right. You got to get your hands on it. So at Kentucky, he was unstoppable. He was part of that ridiculous team. That's of Carl Anthony Towns. D book thirty eight no until uh oh, until the final four that was unbelievable I actually wanted Kentucky in that game yeah who did you want I kind of wanted to see a team go like like in my lifetime see a team you know do the whole forty no or thirty eight no yeah. whatever it was yeah uh so yeah I, I really didn't like that Wisconsin team I, was I know I mean Frank Kaminsky yeah and Sam Decker, Sam Decker. that's yep. insane um that they beat them and then they had that other great point guard. Uh, did they have the Harrison twins on that team or oh they that, had the, yeah uh, they had Aaron and Andrew Harrison who yep. were awesome. Um, they, they, I can't believe that two twin brothers who were like the number one guards uh-huh. in that class, unbelievable. That Harrison twins balls life makes it. Oh yeah, I I always loved watching them play. I like I love seeing history being made. That's why I wanted Duke to win last year. Like I love watching history be made. Uh huh. And I guess it's like history still being made the other way around. Like because Wisconsin beat that team, that's history. Duke lost to Michigan State, that's history. But I don't know. I like to see dominance, like legacies. But anyways. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein on that Kentucky team. He was fantastic there. I mean, he was dunking on people. He was vicious. And, uh-huh. I mean, he, you could not stop this guy. Um, just his strength within his upper body and lower body, how he could get off the ground. And then once you're in the air, you can, there's no stopping him. Um, I, I thought Julius Randle was on that Kentucky team for a second there, but he wasn't. He was on the year before. And they got to the championship too, I think. Or maybe he was couple years before anyway back to the Warriors um Willie Cauley-Stein I think is a a nice young player on that team and I think once Steph and Draymond maybe once they're done it's D'Angelo and Willie Cauley-Stein's team there have been definitely a lot of talk about how they have plans to keep D'Angelo Russell long term first when he first got traded to the Warriors everyone was like he's just a rental he's gonna be there for maybe a week a few days they're gonna find some trade value out of him right that's not what they did they they're planning on keeping him and actually using him so I think he could be a great point guard in the future he made his first all-star game last season even though it was to replace Victor Oladipo it was still impressive so um it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with D'Angelo Russell there and how the chemistry is between Curry and Russell and Draymond Green of course right he's always mixing it up speaking of D'Angelo Russell do you think that the Nets made a mistake choosing Kyrie Irving over D'Angelo Russell I posted this on uh the Swiss Report Instagram account and I it got so many comments. Um, I mean, so many people were giving their insight, and it was interesting because some people make the the argument that it was a bad decision because you took the guy who was a terrible leader and just a pro- locker room problem on his team last season for the Celtics, Kyrie Irving, over the guy who fought his way to become a very solid player on the Nets and brought the team to its first playoff berth in years. And you selected, you got, let him go and selected the other guy. Right. A lot of people were aggravated by that. Now, on the other side, there's the argument that without Kyrie Irving, you're not getting Kevin Durant. And you're not getting all these other guys because they plan to play together. I think that you could, that's probably the more correct approach is, like, it's still Kyrie Irving. I mean, yes, D'Angelo Russell is good, and it's about loyalty. But when you got a talent like Kyrie Irving, all-NBA guy from last season, you can't pass up on that. For sure. I think uh, in that type of trade-off you got to look at the bigger picture here um 
Kyrie, yes, he did have a very bad um, season last year in terms of off the court. But on the court, this guy still was dropping 26, shooting 40% from the three, shooting 46% from field goal, uh, doing all those things that keeps him up in that first team of NBA uh, conversation every year, keeps him as an all-star starter every year. And, you know, we're never going to forget the, the that clutch moment that he had in the 2016 finals. A lot of people say that if he was healthy in the, healthy in the 2015 finals, they also would have had the Cavaliers uh, beating the Warriors in that series as well. And yeah, I think what the what-ifs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think if, if you look at the big picture here, um, D'Angelo Russell did kind of have a history of being like uh, a locker room, like a bad locker room guy uh, in L.A., and it was nice to see him develop yeah. into uh, a, a solid leader right. uh, for the Nets. But he also, was also still a young guy. Um, he's, he makes mistakes a lot, yeah, too, just I, like Kyrie. Exactly. He got a, like, I think that it was unfair for him to receive that much backlash. I mean, he's a young guy. He made a mistake. Um, and I was, I was always confused on, like, how people were like, oh, poor Nick Young, but he was still yeah, cheating on his on his fiance. Like, yeah. like he was che- like, obviously it's not cool to rat him out, but like he's not. Don't feel too badly for him. But yeah. um, I actually forgot about that, which is a good thing because he's kind of like developed so much as a player now with, in this new start in Brooklyn. Right. It's like now we look at D'Angelo a different way. He's not known for that anymore, which is a good yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like these these are all young guys. Uh, they're not perfect. We saw uh, D'Angelo, you know, shortly after getting eliminated uh, by the Sixers. Um, we tried to sneak some uh, marijuana on a plane um, oh. in a in a liquid can. I I completely forgot about that too. I mean, how yeah. that is ridiculous. He put it in an Arizona bottle. Yeah. Um, and like how stupid of a thinking process that is. You can't bring liquids on a plane either. Exactly. So, oh my so gosh. So we, we can't look at just the D'Angelo versus Kyrie in a vacuum in terms of like the locker room stuff. Um, these are all young guys. They all make mistakes. And what it really comes down to is who. <clears throat> is that talented player that can put your organization over the top. And that's Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And so they definitely made the right decision there. Um, Kyrie Irving's, uh, like I said, a very good all-around player. Um, He's clutch. Um, Hope him and D'Angelo Russell both, I think, kind of lack on the defensive end. But you kind of live with that, with what those guys bring on the offensive end, um, how they bring fans into the seats. And that's the thing thing that's going to matter for the Brooklyn Nets down the road, having Kyrie and KD to build the franchise around. And also, they brought in DeAndre Jordan. Let's not forget about him either. Uh, yeah, I completely forgot um, about DJ. And that's going to be a great team moving forward. I think they definitely made the right decision. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how D'Angelo Russell kind of adjusts to the game with Steph Curry or how the Warriors in general adjust to this new backcourt that they have in Clay Thompson's absence. Another guy on the Warriors that I want to mention is Draymond Green. He's obviously been kind of the vocal point of that team or, or, or really – or sorry, not the vocal point, the vocal leader of that team. Um, now, I've been, I was very disappointed with him last season and even a little bit this season before that, and he admitted it himself in the playoffs that it got to a point where he was doing more crying than playing. And it was so true. It was terrible to watch. It was, it was terrible basketball. And he said it was probably disgusting to watch, and it was. Um, he was just complaining after every call to the refs, getting technicals, getting thrown out of games. And last year, he didn't make his first All-Star game in four years, or in three years, um, as he had been an All-Star three years prior. He's always been known to be kind of a different-styled power forward. He hasn't averaged that many points. He hasn't really posted up, but he's been an all-around player, kind of like how Nikola Jokic is. That's why he had made the All-Star team the past three years before last season. Um, Like an example, in 2017-2018, he averaged only 11 points, but 
added to that 1.3 blocks per game, 1.4 steals per game, 7.3 assists, and 7.6 rebounds. You don't really see that from a power forward in today's game. So that's what kind of different, differentiates him from all other big men. Um, and he's only six foot eight two, so he's a little small for a power forward. Now, last season, obviously with Kevin Durant, and the season before that in 2017-18, he wasn't really that great. He only averaged 7.4 points per game, his lowest since the 2014-15 season. And he was just kind of, like, as I just mentioned, I said all those examples of how he was crying more than playing. It was disappointing, and I was very disappointed in him. And I'm hoping to see him become more of a leader and more mature this season. Yeah, um, I was a big fan of Draymond uh, at Michigan State. I thought it was cool how he had gotten the first um, triple-double in Michigan State uh, for an NCAA tournament game since right. um, Magic Johnson, I believe. Right. Um, yeah. So I thought that was great. And then John Morant did it last March. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and so uh, once they won that first championship and he started to get a little cocky and all that, I was never really a fan. You know, from 2015 to 2016 on, um, the shenanigans off the court. We know about the Snapchat incident and all that. Oh. Um, so I wasn't really a Draymond uh, Green fan, but I am a fan of giving people a second chance. I think that um, once he got to the playoffs, uh, they said he lost about uh, 10 pounds going into the playoffs. Wow. Um, he saw one of his kids, I think it was either his son or his daughter, uh, they were like playing uh, basketball on a Fisher-Price hoop, and they went to the basket and dunked the ball, and then they were begging for a foul, and was like, just like you, Daddy, or something like that, and that made him realize, that, like, that wow. That happened? Yeah. And that, I didn't even know the, about that. Yeah, it's one of the things that made him realize, like, wow, like, I really am, like, crying on the court more than uh, more than I'm playing out here. Oh my and gosh. so um, he kind of changed the way he played um, in the playoffs. I, it was less annoying, per se, for me to watch. And so I want to see, like you said, uh, KD's not there anymore. Um, they do have uh, D'Lo and Steph. But for these first, um, you know, 60-plus games or so, when Klay Thompson isn't there, I want to see Draymond kind of emerge a little bit more as an offensive player uh, more than he was um, or back when he was uh, before uh, Kevin Durant got there. I think that that's the big thing for him. His three-point percentage dropped a lot, yeah, and it had a lot to do with um, that lack of volume to the point where it was people were teams were leaving Draymond wide open from three because guess what? They got to either double team Clay, I mean double team Steph, double team KD. They're gonna what's what's your uh, pick your poison pretty much? What are you gonna leave open? They're gonna leave Draymond open for three, and I think that was um, really dropping his confidence a little bit. You know, going along with those points we made about Lonzo and Ben Simmons earlier. He's listening to what people are saying uh, in the media and stuff like that. Oh, Draymond can't shoot. Draymond looks like he has a backpack on when he's shooting the basketball. You know, that kind of thing. You know, they're putting the Door of the Explorer backpack on. Right, that was like one that. of the biggest memes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I'm interested to see him, just like those other guys, uh, really giving him a, a second chance um, and seeing what he does uh, with more opportunities, with more volume. And um, I just want to see how he expands his game, especially offensively. So I'm for sure looking forward to that. Definitely, and I think away from the numbers, it's just I want to see Draymond become more of a leader and more mature, especially with young guys like Willie Cauley-Stein and D'Angelo Russell on his team, as we mentioned before. Now, we got a few more minutes to go here. The James Harden uh, off-season one-legged three-pointer and those videos that went viral. We saw plenty of those, and it's a new style, a new shot like we've never seen before. Now, before I get to this, James Harden has kind of changed the game in, in the way he scored the basketball. Last season was obviously his best example of it. The step-back three-pointer that everybody criticized for, to be a travel, but wasn't because the refs didn't call it, um, and that he consistently used throughout the whole season. 
that was something that players really didn't use that much. I mean, that was the most step backs in a season in NBA history last season. So he kind of changed the game that way. Now, over the offseason, we saw some videos of him playing. I think it was in New York City at that Lifetime Gym where if you go in that gym, you're automatically a 99 for all. the Chris Brickley Black Ops runs. Yeah, right, the Black Ops basketball runs. Uh, But he was testing out a one-legged three-pointer, and in the preseason game so far for the Rockets, he's kind of experimented with it so far. He hasn't hit it yet, but he was fouled on one of them. Do you see this shot working this year in the NBA? And just what are your thoughts on it? Um, so we've seen him attempt it twice now in the preseason. Um, the first one was first uh, the Shanghai Sharks uh, in the first preseason game for the NBA. Uh, it was a, a scrimmage versus Shanghai Sharks, a team that Yao Ming formerly owned and actually uh, played for a little bit. And they were up a lot. Uh, he was trying it, just testing it out. It looks like something he wants to do on the baseline a little bit. Uh, I don't really see the necessity for it. Uh, like, even in terms of drawing fouls, I think it's a little bit unsafe on his end in terms of, like, having space to land. Right. Um, but I can see him developing that consistently. He's, it's all about repetition. So for him to get those in-game reps in the preseason, that's, like, the first step for him. Um, I think with that step back, uh, people, you know, people like us, we try it, like, every day and stuff like that. But really, the consistency that he built with that is all built on repetition. So I see a guy like that who's really invested into his craft. Uh, if he wants to make that part of his arsenal make it uh, less and less um, predictable which movie he's going to do, I think that's great for him, but I don't really see the necessity for it. Definitely. Now, moving on, uh, that was kind of just a quick uh, little discussion that we had there, and my thoughts on it are just, it's very interesting. Like, we've never seen something like that before, and it's going to be really cool to see if he starts knocking that down consistently. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really change the way, like, defenses are constructed and how offensive players play their game. If, if more players uh, kind of follow his example. Now, last topic here. I posted a photo recently on the, on my, uh, the Swish Report Instagram account. And I kind of told the followers and just people to choose two players to start a franchise with. Now, this list includes many dominant young players, including RJ Barrett, Luka Doncic, De'Aaron Fox, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Lonzo, D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, Zion Williamson, Jamal Murray, and Trey Young. Choose two players to start a franchise with. You want to go first or me? All right, I got it. So I'm kind of interchangeable between four guys on this list. That's Trey Young, Lonzo Ball, Luka Doncic, and R.J. Barrett. Th- those are, and obviously i got to give nods to Devin Booker and Jason Tatum as well. Uh, gosh, like, that's what makes this so difficult. But I think with those four guys, you match up one of those point guards with uh, one of those uh, small forwards. That's when you have like the two that I would start a franchise with. I think that's the perfect duo. I'm, I'll go with, like, interchangeable between Lonzo and Luca, or Lonzo and Barrett, or Luca and Trey, um, or RJ and Trey. I like that. I like that pick. Uh, for me, when I thought about this, it's all around things in terms of starting the franchise. Uh, I want to have a good team, obviously, uh, and build for the future. I also want to put people in the seats, though. Who hmm. are the guys that are going to generate the most buzz for my team? Lonzo. And uh, that helped me to come to my decision of Luka Doncic, and Zion Williamson. I think Zion Williamson's one of the most interesting people we've seen uh, in these last couple decades. Wow. Uh, he's probably the most hype around him uh, since LeBron James, yeah. and maybe even more uh, with the emergence of social media uh, since 2003 when uh, LeBron first came in the league. For sure. So I think that's definitely going to put people in the seats for my organization, per se, if I'm starting up. And Zion, uh, with Luka Doncic spreading the floor for him, uh, can have that kind of dynamic tandem, you know, pick and roll, lobbing up to Zion and that kind of thing. 
and Luca being the shooter he is, the dynamic player he is coming from Europe, uh, playing that style, I think their mix uh, between those two would be a great start to any franchise. So those are my that's my pick. That's no nothing wrong with that. I think that's a that's a pretty good uh, two to start a franchise with. Any of these guys, I think, would be, I mean, dominant. You would have a great team to start uh, yeah. with with any of these guys. Um, so many different interchangeables that you can do. Well, that's all we have to, for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Swish Report. We'll be back next week with more. Have a great rest of the day.